0: written about painting but I've never really had an opportunity to be a painter I've written about photography and I have done some photography but printmaking is for me it was just a transformative experience
1: print friends, and welcome to the 96th episode of Pine Copper Lime, the internet's number one printmaking podcast. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. I release weekly podcasts with people in the print world who are doing something a bit beyond the expected. So please subscribe on your podcast listening app of choice. You can also find Pine Copper Lime on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and you can find it all at pinecopperlime.com. We also have a Patreon page where supporters can join at tiers that start at just a dollar a month, and that helps to keep us bringing you printmaking content every week. You can also get thank yous like stickers, prints, and mugs, as well as access to our bonus content, Shop Talk with our editor, Timothy Paushek. These are quick and dirty tips and tricks with our guests from materials, processes, general business advice, and studio nonsense. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, you can check out the link in the show notes to sign up and hear Tim's chat with today's guest. And if you want to save a little cash while still supporting Pine Copper Lime, you can sign up now for a yearly subscription and get 15% off the tier price. Printmaking forever, shun the non-believers. Pine Copper Lime is brought to you by Speedball Art Products, who've been offering a diverse range of high-quality products to your practice since 1997. Products like their new line of professional relief inks. Beginning with the flagship color Super Graphic Black, developed with artist printer Bill Flick, Formulated with all the working properties artists demand, these light-fast inks roll out consistently, transfer beautifully, and clean up easily with soap and water. So if you want to take your practice to the next level, head on over to Speedball's website to see where you can pick up a can of your new favorite color. There's a link in the show notes. My guest this week is Jennifer Roberts, professor of art history at Harvard University. Jennifer is this year's presenter for the Mellon Lectures on Fine Art, and she championed printmaking in a bold new way. We will talk about how she came to printmaking through Jasper Johns, being transformed as a historical scholar through the act of making prints, learning by doing, the head and the hand, Rosalind Krauss, and how it's just the tip of the iceberg with all of the work that is left to be done researching and theorizing and studying about prints. And print friends, if you have not gotten a chance to watch this lecture series, do yourself a favor and definitely check it out. Jennifer takes us through six lectures with visuals, all available for free through the National Gallery of Arts website, that's NGA.gov. And she goes through pressure, reversal, separation, strain, interference, and alienation. I have never seen anyone go at printmaking through these themes. She doesn't do it historically, she doesn't do it by medium, she does it with these really incredible theoretical framework. Please check them out, they are great, again they are for free, and you can find them just by googling Mellon Lectures, that's M-E-L-L-O-N 2021 in your browser, they will pop right up, they are a wonderful, wonderful way to be introduced to new ways of thinking about printmaking and possibly even new artists who are doing great work that you haven't heard about yet. So definitely check those out. There'll be a link in the show notes. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to make contact with Jennifer Roberts.
0: Hi, Jennifer. How's it going? Great. Thanks so much for having
1: me. Thank you for joining me. I'm really excited to have this talk. Um, I was absolutely thrilled when I saw you were the lecturer and the subject matter of the 70th year of the Mellon Lecture Series and was really, really pleased when you agreed to join me to talk a little bit more about them. And before we dive into all of it, could you just give yourself a little brief introduction and let people know from your perspective
0: – who you are, where you are, and what you do. Sure. Um, Well, from my perspective, my name appears to be (laughs) Jennifer Roberts. (laughs) I am in a spare bedroom outside of Cambridge, Massachusetts, where I have been for most of the past 18 months or so um, since the pandemic began. And I teach at Harvard, but Harvard has been one of the most strict institutions Mm -hmm. in terms of pandemic regulations. So I haven't even entered my office, really, um, except for one five-minute visit for the entire scope of the pandemic. But um, I just reached my fully vaccinated status on Sunday, Uh, so I'm ready to escape finally and actually go see some art. And what I do is that technically, uh, I'm an art history professor at Harvard. My official fields are that I'm an Americanist and a modernist. But I like to think of myself as being interested in and exploring all kinds of different areas of art history um, and fields outside of art history. So I'm a professional art historian, but I think I'm something of an unprofessional um, (laughs) photographer and botanist and astronomer and science enthusiast Mm -hmm. and just general observer of things.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I definitely identify with that as well. But I I have a very specific focus within my my professional life, but I also pretty much am just – in love with the world and how people respond to it. And I think that <laughs> both art and science fall under that umbrella in a really, really interesting ways. And of course, yeah. print is a fascinating place where they intersect as well. Exactly. So it's a great, exactly. it's a great way to, to bring them both in. So before we get into the lecture specifically, I would love to hear maybe a bit more about your backstory and how you came to study printmaking. And you mentioned in the series that you came to printmaking through Jasper Johns. Can you say what you meant by that?
0: Yeah, I had a very strange entry into the topic. Um, I never studied printmaking in any official way at any point in my schooling. Um, And I just sort of stumbled into it. Actually, the First exposure I had to it, or when I first sort of caught the fire, as it were, mm. it was actually before I started working on John's. It was while I was working on a book on early on on the movement of images in early America. It's about sort of the transmission and visual com- communication in the early period, eighteenth um, nineteenth century in America, and I was writing about a landscape painter named Asher B. Durand, who it turns out had previously been an engraver. And so I was looking into his history and found that he was a banknote engraver. Mm. And I suddenly became just consumed by the philosophical and material fascination of of banknote engraving and printed money. Mm. Um, All of the biggest, most difficult most complicated questions about what print is. It's kind of ontology, it's authenticity, it's ability to be replicated, um, it's ability to move, it's ability to to create value. All of this was compressed into this little project on banknote engraving. And that really woke me up to um, all of these issues. And then as I was finishing that book and and writing about things like line engraving, and uh, reproductive engraving, I stumbled into a small tutorial class at Harvard with three students and um, the art museum, the Harvard Art Museums had asked me to teach a small class on a single work in the collection and perhaps have the class put a show together. And they um, asked if I would do the Jasper Johns painting titled Dutch Wives in the collection To make a long story short, that project turned into an entire exhibition, a small exhibition, but a but a real exhibition at Harvard um, that was about the relationship between John's and printmaking, between printmaking and all of his other work in other media. And I wrote an essay for that. And having already been Fascinated with print through this currency project, then you know I had the I had I had the good fortune of stumbling into working on the artist who I think is more or less universally recognized as the artist for whom print is most central to his work in all other media. And it's like one of the most this one of these Met artists, the meta artists about printmaking. So I I went into print via two kind of strange entry points but both of them were incredibly rich for thinking about printing and printmaking and at that point I was pretty much hooked so I had done I had done that curating with the John's painting and brought a bunch of prints in John's prints into that exhibition and then over the years I had a few other opportunities to do some curating I did an exhibition at the Radcliffe Institute at Harvard on those on on Willie Cole's prints made from ironing boards, mm-hmm. which show up in my Mellon lecture on pressure, the first Mellon lecture, and then I also had you know various experiences with making prints that developed as part of my research for both of these projects, and got to visit print studios and meet master printers, and have really spent the past probably eight years trying to become a print scholar. <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
1: And so I always love to ask people who come on the podcast, what was it necessarily, to do you think, about print itself that lit the fire in, in you? Because so many people, you know, they're, they're printmakers or, or scholars or, or curators like yourself. And why print? Out of all, the, of all the things in the world, do you think really made that Light come on for you.
0: Well, I'm a very technical and material thinker. For one thing, I'm a, I'm really prone to geekery around technical matters. Mm. So print was is is highly satisfactory in that respect. Yes. <laughs> um, and all of my writing, you know, leading up to this project, you know, looking back now, at a, from from a mid career perspective, you can kind of begin to see the way your own mind works mm. or or did. Uh, and I've realized that. In almost every case, you know, in my first book on Robert Smithson and then this book on um, early American visual communication, I'm always trying to find ways to take fundamental physical operations and thinking about physics, basically, and technical things uh, and connecting those to big conceptual and philosophical and historical questions, trying to create these direct connections between sort of matter and mind. And that's something that I was always trying to do in my earlier work. And print just really seemed to be, it seemed to be an exceptionally rich field for that kind of thinking to develop. So um, I loved that it was so technical, but also so, so smart, so intellectual, Mm -hmm. and at the same time, so, so tactile, it was really transformed by the experience of making prints, I have to say, Mm -hmm. like, I've, I've written about painting, but I've never really had an opportunity to be a painter. I've written about photography, and I have done some photography, but printmaking is, for me, it was just a transformative experience, particularly in the way I realized how deeply making a print amounts to a form of intelligence a form of visual and conceptual intelligence and it's and the difficulty of it i think like a lot of people i assume that print is an easy way of making an image uh-huh. but in fact it's much 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 more <laughs> yeah. difficult than just than just sitting down with a pencil and drawing something i mean there's so there's so many inversions and reversals um, so many kind of methodological complications involved in making a print. and I also loved the way it was simultaneously distant and intimate. Um, you're working with all these squashy inks and pressure. and yet and that yet you always had to hand this image over to this machine. Um, and I loved the I loved the way those two ideas came and in, come into conflict uh, in making prints um, but I was transformed by the process of making prints and I should say that I had this experience of printmaking in a class on monotype actually because mm. after I had done this original this original catalog for the John's exhibition I was asked to work on the catalog resume of John's monotypes and that was published in I think 2017 or 2018 but I did a whole project on John's monotypes, but I didn't know much about them, about the whole process. So I took a class to learn about it. And that was really important too, because that, because it was a non-replicative kind of printmaking or not necessarily replicative, that really opened me up to everything else that's going on in printmaking Mm -hmm. other than replication. And that very much impacted the way... I organized the lectures around topics other than replication, and and my own conviction that it's important that we are able to talk about everything else that's going on in print studios other than making copies. Mm-hmm. So by working with monotypes, I was able to be sort of much more experimental and and really dive into a lot of it of a lot of different qualities of printmaking that maybe I wouldn't have if I had worked in a particular technical tradition.
1: That experience of almost in a way i think some people feel that they don't ever truly understand prints until Mm -hmm. they've made one and that that understanding has to come through the body and the corporeal experience and i just think that's so interesting and it's something that i i hear a lot and as someone who has spent a lot of her professional career as sort of a bit of a a a conduit between printmaking and the general public, um, (laughs) you know, through my work in commercial galleries, but also through this podcast as well. And that it's, if anyone even has the slightest connection to it, even if it's just rubber stamp carving in Mm -hmm. primary school, it's the, it's, 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 it completely changes and informs the way that they're interacting with the image. And it's, Yes. super fascinating and it's something that I, I haven't necessarily seen in other media there's maybe there's something about that as you say that kind of technological element to it that brings that in but whatever it is it's it's until you you've sort of lived it there's right. always a bit of a disconnect, I think right yeah, a little right. alienation if you will yeah <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> to jump ahead no, yeah I,
0: exactly no I love that I love that it's so mind-boggling I mean I'm always even though I've been doing this for you know eight or ten years I will still look at prints and be completely challenged by them conceptually and intellectually. And, and I just, I I cannot figure them out just with my brain. Yeah. Um. You know, and that's really a, for me, that's a really exciting place to be as an academic, you know, in the ivory tower, mm. right? My job is to be smart with my brain and figure things out with my brain. Yes. But, but I cannot understand prints only that way. And I love that. I love that. It's so difficult and I love that it's a challenge and I love that, I cannot fully understand print unless I use my body to do it. Mm. Um, and that's just for me, that's really exciting because it's one of the few places in my academic life where I've really felt that I was using my entire body yes. <laughs> of brain and the rest of it to learn something. And you know I've done a lot of I've done a lot of teaching coincidentally around the importance of making as a form of knowledge and as a form of intelligence. I taught a seminar for many years with my colleague Ethan Lasser called Minding Making that was all about theories of making and so and we we had thought a lot about and talked a lot about why it is that art historians aren't expected to make things yeah. generally. Like why isn't that considered to be a valid form of research? Whereas in my own case, you know, whenever I would sit down and even just do something very simple um, a really simple operation that doesn't require any actual artistic skill. Um, but if I could get myself into the process of something I was working on, I was always astonished by how much it opened up my thinking about it. Even embarrassed, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, embarrassed by how much I would learn. Yeah. By having to flip things around in space, you know? Yes. So.
1: Yes, yeah. It was I, – I, I'm thinking of the last time I – made a print was in a st- studio in in Canberra in Australia, and I was carving a linocut. And, um, you know, my husband is a practicing printmaker and um, does a lot of his work in relief. And so, you know, he's showing me how to hold the tool in a way that, you know, you don't hurt yourself. There's all this sort of like body <laughs> knowledge that you need. And, right. you know, and, like, and b- both hurt yourself in terms of stab yourself, but also like, you know, hurt like the tendons, you know, hurt the way Wear out your joints, you know, cause if you if you want to be doing this for, for many years. And so I was asking him all these questions, like, what about this? What about this? And I remember at one point I said, and how do you keep your back from hurting? Well, you're crying. <laughs> he was like, he's like, when you figure that one out, tell the rest of us. <laughs> and it was, it was as someone who's sort of, um, as more, you know, more of an academic when it comes to printmaking, it was such an interesting realization of the fact that I had no idea until I was actually in it and had spent a couple hours leaning over something carving, Mm -hmm. that this Mm -hmm. is an inherent part of the making is this sort of physical discomfort. And again, it's the kind of thing that you can never really know, know until Mm -hmm. you've lived it. And it's it's such an interesting part of of the practice. Yeah.
0: Right. I mean, one of the things I always say is the big the big thing you learn in in picking up a skill like that is how hard can you push yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how hard can you push without something breaking off like how do you meet the resistance of the material and and you know without breaking something or making an error or destroying your your own self and it's exactly in those situations you described where you you can feel the the material and the process sort of flowing back into your own. Mm. body and your own mind. I mean, the materials are teaching you um, and changing you as you work with them. It's not just about, you know, the human artist sitting down with their intellectual capacities and getting an idea and just injecting it into the material. It's very much a two-way process, which I also find so interesting in print, especially.
1: I just released a couple of days ago the conversation I did with Caledonia Curry, you know, also known as Swoon. And she in the conversation that we had, she talks about carving almost as a kind of somatic healing for her own trauma and how she, you know, when she was younger, before she even sort of understood what was going on she thinks that just taking on a project where she could just carve endlessly that she was actually moving it through her body she you know, she says yeah. I just was carving and carving and carving and I was just putting everything into it and just you know stripping away and it's just it's just such a interesting and kind of beautiful metaphor too I think for for movement and I mm-hmm. I, I think that we're Becoming more and more aware in society in general, but also as scholars in the knowledge that the body holds, in the uh, history that the body holds, in the way that the state of our body affects our brain, and becoming mm-hmm. much less separated. And printmaking is, a, again, a, such a fun vehicle to explore that with. Right, exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I also just love that it, that you put your body into it, but it, Send something back to you that's yeah. different, right? The whole question, that's why I'm so fascinated with reversal is because there is this really productive estrangement, I think, that you are in dialogue with this object. Um, it's not just taking everything from you. It's giving something back. It's something that you're responding to um, that is, it is sort of alien uh, in that respect. Yeah. So to shift a little bit and
1: to address the lectures themselves specifically, Mm -hmm. Uh, you have a series of six, which amounts to, you know, almost six hours of presentation on printmaking. I think each one's about 50 minutes long. Mm -hmm. And so how do you go about taking on a project like this? You know, I assume you're, you're sort of invited to give the lecture. You understand, or maybe you have an idea or you're invited, you know, kind of to speak about something specifically. And then, how do you go about structuring, which seems like an immense amount of time, but also not enough time to talk right. about printmaking? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, that's very true. It's 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 very little time, actually, when it comes right down to it. Um, so yeah, so the Mellon lectures are you're invited to do them just as a person. You're not asked mm. to do any specific topics. So. I was asked to do these, gosh, it was quite a while ago, maybe four or five years ago. So you have quite a bit of lead time. And I had been working on print and writing a lot of you know these these catalogs and articles and a lot of scattered work on print. And wanted to bring all that together in some kind of a synthetic way. Of course, I had originally imagined that I would be going to Washington, D.C., and essentially living there for a few, for, you know, six weeks while I delivered these. And doing them remotely changed a lot about my thinking, mostly in terms of how much time I had and how much room I had in each lecture, just because the practice of putting together a pretty highly produced video which involves you know recording it sending a script sending call outs in the script sending an elaborate powerpoint that then gets reconstructed and then sending all the image files and then figuring out you know what all the permissions might look like (laughs) it ends up eating up a lot of the time that i would have normally spent actually writing the things. So, so it was, it was a, it was a challenge, but, and it was really multifaceted and very interesting. But one of the things that I found was that, um, you know, I was, I, I was actually able to compress more material, more content into these videos than I would have in the lecture hall, because I, people are, I think people can, they can consume video more quickly. Than they can a person standing in front of them live in a lecture hall, mm-hmm. just because we 're used to these sort of high speed <laughs> the high speed world of of video mm-hmm. and so I was actually pleased with that that i was I was able to compress things into the video much more clearly. It also meant that I could actually show video occasionally, which, as you know, is really crucial for getting yeah. these processes mm-hmm. across to an audience. Because video gives it gives you the kind of spatial knowledge that you need to get this across. But at any rate, so I I had been working on print for many years. I was invited to give a lecture, a series of lectures in the other Cambridge in England a few years ago, which were also about printmaking, although from a slightly different angle. Those helped me kind of begin to write up some of the material that was heavily revised and expanded for these lectures. And then I've also been teaching some of this material for several years now, both from the perspective of lecturing, but then also um, I teach a class called Critical Printing with uh, my colleague Matt Saunders, who's one of our studio professors here at Harvard. And we teach a class that's three hours of studio and three hours of seminar per week. So it's a real, it's a true studio history hybrid course, which has been really exciting. So I had all this material, all these prints in my head, much more than six hours worth. Yeah. And basically, what I finally decided was that I, I could get up and give a series of really detailed, historically focused lectures about, say, six printmakers or six moments in the history of print or six different techniques. But what I really found that I wanted to do was to write and present something that could be an introduction to the, the importance and the fascination of printmaking for a broad audience. What I am most frustrated every semester frustrated about every semester is, is that there's no thin little book I can hand my students mm-hmm. that will wake them up to how amazing printmaking <laughs> is. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's not there aren't many gateway books or uh, gateway content to get you into printmaking, especially for students who don't who aren't already sort of part of the print community. Who if, if you're not already a print person, it's hard to find entry-level material. So I I realized that I had this amazing opportunity. The Mellon lectures are, you know, they're very much academic lectures. They're given by professors, um, but they are meant to be for a broad audience. And they also, even though the world, world of art history is very small, within that small world, they're a pretty big soapbox. And so I felt that I had an opportunity to try to sort of do something ambitious and and shake up the way we think about print because I've been frustrated both by the lack of sort of entry level material but more fundamentally by the lack of recognition of print in my academic art history world and in the wor- in the world of modern and contemporary art more generally so there were things that i really wanted to try to take a shot at fixing and so i organized them in such a way that they they wouldn't look like normal print content in a way, I tried to camouflage them so that people who think they're just interested in painting <laughs> might, <laughs> might be tricked into watching lectures about printmaking <laughs> instead of immediately running in the other direction, which, let's be honest, does sometimes happen mm-hmm. um, in the world uh, outside of the print world. It was important to present print in such a way that it could move between audiences that don't normally talk to each other. So I've I've tried very, very hard to sort of thread the needle between PhDs in art history and printmakers and people who are just generally interested in art but don't have any particular um, commitment to any particular medium. So I really tried to make them accessible. And then I was also trying... To show that print is bigger than just printmaking, that it's full of these ideas and operations that have moved out into the rest of the art world, often without people realizing it, Mm. which is the reason that so much of my lectures, um, so many minutes in these lectures are devoted to things that that wouldn't be classified as prints in in a museum. Glenn Ligon's paintings, for example, um, or Mark Bradford's work, or even Julie Maratou's paintings. So much of contemporary art, I think, is print in disguise as um, (laughs) a a higher status medium. So I, I, I wanted people who don't think about print to realize that they actually they are thinking about print, they just, <laughs> they just aren't calling it that, yeah. I guess would be one way of thinking about it. So the were the terms that I've used, the kind of taxonomy, things like reversal and pressure, were an attempt to create a set of ideas around print that are transitive, and that will move be- and can move across media, mm. while also being kind of clearly attributable to a kind of generation in print. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And hearing you, you speak about it, it makes me think sort of about the, the art ecosystem and how, you know, you have scholars and academics and you have art makers and you have curators and you have collectors and Mm -hmm. how, you know, they really do, of course, influence one another and um, rely on one another for, uh, support and information. And, you know, I, I think that having these lectures of, you know, about printmaking is very hopeful and, and wonderful for someone, you know, like myself and in the business of print in one way or another. But also it, it makes me think about how across all those tiers... And this is something that you address in the lectures. Printmaking is given a bit of a, of a lower status. As you say, you know, these prints kind of mm-hmm. have to disguise themselves as something else sometimes to get real scholarly mm-hmm. attention. Mm-hmm. And I just always am never entirely sure. Why that is, because I, I can hear in your voice and I can hear in my voice and many people, like, when they love it so much, like, it's so fascinating. It's such a, such a rich vein to mine, like, intellectually and artistically. And yet it always has this, a bit of a removed status. And I don't know, is, is that just, do you think it's just commercially based? Is it, is it people, is it that Americans just have to be individuals and they just can't think of something that has a capacity for multiplicity, having value, like what, what do you right. have any insight as, as someone also, you know,
0: right. um, championing our medium? Yeah, no, I've thought a lot about this and I don't, you know, I don't have the final answer, but some of the ways I've, I've thought about it is that, so I, I, I do think that there is a lot of just social inertia around the pr- the unexamined prejudices around the secondary status of, of print. Mm-hmm. The response that people sometimes have just to the word printmaking is almost as if they're putting antibodies up around it or something <laughs> It's almost allergic. Sometimes mm-hmm. um, it's, it just has this, this, this sort of set of, uh, of provincial associations around it. Another association is, I think the association with the market mm-hmm. it's seen as being somehow, um, contaminated by market values which I find really frustrating because I don't I I just don't understand how print can seem to be more pecuniary than something like painting Mm -hmm. I mean I I really just don't get that at all but but that is out there as a as a as a way of thinking about print this this doesn't make sense to me but it's very much out there I mean I, I often find that artists who are clearly working in and around print media, do not want to be identified as printmakers. Mm-hmm. I I see that all the time. There's an aversion to even being identified with it, which I, I you know, as soon as that kind of I see that kind of thing happening in front of me, I want to go get in there and and break it up because yeah. it doesn't <laughs> it really doesn't make any sense. Like whenever I see something that art historians disdain, like that's where I want to go. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and unpack it a little bit because it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. Part of it, I think, is that, you know, among art historians, well, it's not just art historians. I think it's I think it's widespread in our culture. There is this notion that processes that are highly technical and reproductive and are are associated with machines Mm -hmm. are not artistic. Mm. Uh, and that are not, and and don't contain the kind of intuitive genius that people expect from works of art. And there's a there's a kind of aversion to to technical finickiness. That of course that's that's what attracts me to it. But I think yeah. I can see how that comes into play here. I also think there are a couple other things going on. I mean, as I said, um, I think print is being hidden behind the word painting and even the word photography quite often. So there's print everywhere, but we can't see it so that, you know, and I talk in my, in my lectures about how Warhol, Warhol's paintings are really, they really are just, they are prints, but they're called paintings and that's how they're valued. And that's how they're stored. And that's how they're understood. Another, Uh, issue that print has is that it's been, I think, at least in scholarship, it's been overtaken by photography. Photography is this really, really interesting to people. Now, Mm -hmm. Um, there are volumes and volumes and volumes of books about the ontology of photography. What is a photograph? What is this image? What is this mechanically reproduced image? People are fascinated by this and there's no stigma around photography as there used to be, there's no stigma around photography now. Yeah. And yet there is around print, which again makes no sense to me. and And something that I would like to do some more work on in the future and I would like to see other people work on, is the nearly complete imbrication of photography and print from the moment of the advent of photography. Mm. i I don't think you can really talk about photography in any rigorous way without recognizing that photography is always being carried by print processes, Mm -hmm. you know, almost always, and almost any photograph that you've seen in your life is probably actually a halftone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. With ink on a printing press it's totally reliant on the systems and techniques of print and the history and traditions of print Um, and print comes to rely on photography too in other ways but it's this fascinating story of media that are symbiotically working together and yet in our minds photography is the fascinating philosophically interesting problem and print just falls out of the story Mm altogether. Um, that's one of the things, another thing I talk about in the lectures is the way we have come to talk about print tends to shut down our ability to talk about it in all the ways that we might. So it's often associated with de-skilling, for example, which is a very powerful idea in contemporary art history, but prevents us from thinking about print as a skill, Yeah. (laughs) as something that has this long history of skill behind it and then the and then finally the replication narrative the idea that print is so thoroughly associated with reproduction i think does that does create this idea of its secondariness certainly but it does other things too i mean when you're thinking only about print as reproduction it makes you focus only on the downstream life of print um, as the significant part of its life in the world and not its making. Mm. Uh, thinking about reproduction tends to familiarize print, um, makes it seem normative and neutral as just a carrier of content. Um, so when you're only thinking about it as a reproduction, as like uh, this cheap, uh-huh. you know this cheap thing running through the world, you're not able to see how weird it is <laughs> actually <it's, laughs> you lose all of the weirdness of it um, which I'm very much trying to recapture in these in these lectures it's not just an efficient purveyor of pictorial content that was made elsewhere yes so you know there's a lot going on there and then there's also just there have been I think in some of the some of the high status venues for modern and contemporary art writing there have been, some Some moments that have, I think, become just bottlenecks in in print studies. So mm-hmm. you know there' was a an interview that I read with Rosalind Krauss that she did in two thousand and thirteen. And those of you who know modern contemporary art know that you know Rosalind Krauss is probably the most important critic for the way we think about you know post-war art. And um, she said in this interview that she hates the medium of printmaking oh, no. and print, prints have nothing to do with modernism and therefore I'm not interested in them as a medium. And this is just, of course, devastating, oh, no. devastating <laughs> read this. But also, but I, but I mean, I bring it up just to say that it's also really just befuddling because, yeah. you know, her work has been very important to me. And I actually think that she taught me how to look at prints because her work is about – you know, the indexical, the the imprint, she's really interested in horizontality and gravity and force. And she's interested in sort of seriality. And her work is very much about the body and its relationship to the plane. And so she seems to me to be talking about print all the time. Yeah. And yet, she doesn't like printmaking. And so I think we just have different ideas of what printmaking is. <laughs> so I think these <laughs> lectures are about here's an idea about what printmaking is that I hope will be productive and will really open up new questions and new scholarship. And you know, this is not about the last word about anything. I mean, I am not so many people are more expert in print and printmaking than I am. I really just want these to fire people up into a series of questions Mm. and make them wonder about things because there's so much to be done. There's so many books to be written and so many prints to be made.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I just, so I'm just my mind is just sort of reeling around the statement that prints have nothing to do with modernity. Like I really feel like, like what? <laughs> you know? Right. Modernism, I feel oh, oh, modernism. Still. Okay, yes. But that's, that's not much better. That's not much better. Yeah. That prints have nothing to do with modernism is still like, what? Um mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I I hear you. And 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 I think kind of um to talk a little bit about that, what you're saying about, you know, this is hopefully just kind of the beginning, you spend a lot of time in the lectures on screen printing. And when you're doing this, you acknowledge the fact that in a way, screen printing is sort of a skipped over medium within a skipped over media. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of this, um, even within printmaking, it, it, it can almost seem to be have a lower, have a lower status of of some kind. And, and this, you know, maybe it's the close connection to commercial processes, um, which you mentioned in the lecture for it being sort of looked over. But I think it's so interesting that you do spend this time on it because pulling it into the limelight and sort of pointing out the fact that it has been missed is actually such an exciting move because now there's so much to think about because we're like, oh, this hasn't been looked at. You know, this hasn't – this isn't Michelangelo's David. We haven't already beaten it to death, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with ink by now. We can we right. can um, explore even more. And I'm wondering if you have any sort of maybe particularly exciting avenues around screen print that you, you know, maybe wish you'd had more time to speak about in the lecture or even want to plant the seed for any – Young print scholars out there <laughs> listening to the podcast that you're like, I don't have time to look at this, but someone needs to do X, Y, and Z with screen printing.
0: Well, you know, I feel I feel that way about everything in the lectures. Actually, mm-hmm. um, I I was joking with a friend the other day that um, I could have done all of these lectures in the following format, where I just get on the microphone and read a list of potential featured <laughs> dissertation topics. <laughs> <laughs> because I just I think there's just so much to do, and um, you know the screen printing thing was something that I I dove into it probably as fully as I was able just mm. to give an example of what it might look like to really unpack uh, a technique that that isn't carefully studied. Um, I I I started working on screen printing when I worked on an exhibition on Corita Kent at the Harvard Art Museums and sort of dove into the process. And as I began to learn more about it, I realized a couple things. First of all, there were no, there were virtually no art history articles that unpacked the technique in any kind of historical or theoretical way. And even the technical literature on screen printing, just learning how it was done was something that I was unable to do via the Harvard Fine Arts Library. Um, there is this great new book, big fat book called The History of Screen Printing mm. um, by Guido Longwheeler that was just published, I think, in 2016 or 17. And I had to ask the Harvard Art Library to um, to buy it because I wasn't <laughs> planning on getting it. Um, and that, you know, that was full of Great primary research, um, you know. That's, for example, where I learned that that the screen and screen printing is was originally developed in the flour milling industry in Europe, which really got my mind going around questions of processing and refinement and pushing things through meshes in order to create culture. So, the screen printing world, um, I, I do think there's a lot more to do around the relationship. Th- the relationship that screen printing helps us see open up between art art print processes or fine art printmaking processes and other kinds of making and manufacturing. That's something that I think a lot of of the print world is hesitant to explore because it seems that it will further sort of debase the Mm -hmm. techniques in the fine art world if you you point out that, that this process has connections to you know, mass manufacturing and fabrication and all of these other ways that copies of things are made in the world but I think it's actually a source of great strength for the field to look not just to create connections between printmaking and you know the other art media but also to see what we can learn about the interface between art and the rest of the world by looking at printmaking because it's sitting at this really fascinating mm-hmm. nexus between the fine arts and the history of technology and the history of science. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm really interested in the fact that um, that screen printing is a way of making images that's, that comes out of the history of making bread. I just uh-huh. love this. <laughs> and yeah. for me, that's really enriches it and it gives us this whole other field of ideas from which to pull, as we talk about print, it's another whole way of, of talking about print. And you know, art history is beginning to get more and more connected to what's going on in the, in material studies, material history, histories of technology. This is a very rich area of thinking, and one that print should absolutely be at the center of. Mm. So there's those kinds of connections. There's all kinds of other things that need to be done i think um, i one thing i didn't get a chance to talk about in the lectures but i'm very interested in but won't have time to really do is is the history of circuit printing which is another screen printing topic um, the first printed circuits were screen prints oh, yeah. um, uh-huh. and the yeah the development like the development of computing as we know it the developing of the development of the digital world as we know it which we say is superseding analog print is all actually running on circuit boards which are analog prints which are made using things like lithography and screen printing and all these processes that are now literally running (laughs) running our world so these kinds of things are really interesting to me i'm very interested in the relationship between print and textiles Mm. that's another area that opens up when you start thinking about the screen print as a matrix and the transition between the analog and the digital the screen print is a mesh it's a matrix it's a kind of textile which is also related to the history of computation and technology um all kinds of things. Yeah, Print and gender is a huge topic mm-hmm. that um, has so much still to be done. And as I mentioned earlier, I think another big area where scholarship and print work can be done is around this interface between photography and print. That's very poorly understood at mm-hmm. this point, even just at the level of documentation and archiving and understanding early print photography uh, interactions. It's so, like mm-hmm. the history of the half tone for example is completely fascinating and yet barely <laughs> has barely been touched.
1: Yeah. That's wonderful. And so yeah, you you've you've heard it here, print scholars get to it, you know, you've got <laughs> <That's> your <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, yeah. You write to me. I have other ideas. Yes. <laughs> Cuz it's it is uh, I think that's one of the things that feels so exciting about Study in print, and it's something that I felt when I was doing my MA in art history, focusing on print, which is that you you take an Italian Renaissance course, and I just would feel like, okay, okay, yeah, wow, okay, wow, another another article on this same Mm -hmm. thing, and then when you Mm -hmm. get into print, like there's just this such this feeling of expansion and excitement and uncharted waters. uh, Yeah, at least for me, it just feels so much more invigorating as a scholar and an art appreciator um, is that there's this sense of the unknown and that we can still, you can go out there and try and find it. It's it's really fascinating and, and yeah. um, exciting.
0: No, I totally feel that way. I'll, I'll often be looking at a print and you know, either really, really, or metaphorically, and I just have this feeling. I'm just so excited about it. There's so much going on. There's so much to see, and like I want to turn. I'm like looking over my shoulders. Like, where is everybody? Yeah, I feel like that's being in the print world is like looking over your shoulder and
1: saying, "Right, where is everybody?" And again, I feel like
0: it's just, there are just some, um, some, some. It's it's mere prejudice in many respects that is keeping people away from these topics and. It does. It doesn't take much to 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 crack, to crack op- open the door and get in there. So I, I think what I've just tried to do in these lectures is I don't know open the door or I don't know build, the diving board or something yeah. <laughs> to get people uh, to get people into this space because it's a really exciting space to be. Yeah. Well, in the
1: time that we have left, I want to make sure we get to talk about this uh, sort of tantalizing nugget you drop right at the very end of the lectures which is realizing that these series could be a book
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um spoil st- don't mind me you know spoiling the name as it's kind of, <laughs> that's it. mm-hmm. but uh is that's the the lead-ups a bit of the in the lectures but in you you say that you've after thinking about it you know decided that contact would be an appropriate name mm-hmm. and i just i loved that because looking back at the series, so much of what you're talking about is, of course, contact. And in this way that I hadn't really heard printmaking talked about too much before. You know, you, you really talk about the contact between the ink and the paper, the paper and the press, the press and the artist, you know, and just these points of contact that are happening physically uh and theoretically in the methods of printmaking. And so I'm hoping maybe you could just Speak to what's the timeline for this book? When can we, you yeah, know, sure. you know, just all of it? Because sure. I'm I'm very keen, uh, right, to have a copy myself.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm very keen to do it and very highly motivated to get it done as quickly as possible. So when you give the Mellon lectures, part of the deal is that you have an, a, a sort of pre arranged arrangement with uh, with Princeton University Press to publish them, um, and not everyone actually goes through with it and, and Mm. publishes the lectures as a book. And usually people will take the lectures through an elaborate series of revisions and rewritings before they publish. But there are some that, um, that hew pretty closely to the lectures. So there's already the whole structure for making this into a book that's ready to go. And so I just need to do it. Um, And I, my feeling is that I would like I would actually like the book to stay very close to the lectures. Mm-hmm. I have worked very hard on the writing and um and I feel that the length is right for this book. What I would very much what I would like more than anything would be, you know, as I said, to have this book be something that people could hand to their students, art mm-hmm. history students, printmaking students. I I would love it to be a little slim paperback that doesn't intimidate anyone <laughs> <That's, Yeah. laughs> that that people are excited to read, and that especially that um, that educators feel that they can hand to their students without alienating them. So I really want it to be accessible and manageably scaled. And so I think it'll be very very close. There are some little changes that I want to make here and there, but um, I very much want this to be something that. That opens the field for as, as many people as as possible. And you know, honestly, one of the things that's been most gratifying to me in terms of responses to the lecture is how how many artists seem to be watching them, and responding to them. And artists haven't always been the primary audience for these Mellon lectures, um, but i i really wanted I wanted to reach artists with these, and I'm very happy to. I'm happy to see that that's happening, at least in some instances. And so I would like these this book to be, you know, for artists as well as art historians and students of all kinds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Yeah. Yeah, And the title will be the same as the title of the lecture series, which is Contact Art and the Pull of Print. Wonderful. So, yeah. Well, I, yeah. Can,
1: I can definitely echo the fact that many artists that I've spoken to in recent weeks have just been and devouring the lecture series <laughs> as they come out and um, you know I think just are deeply appreciative of the work that you're doing because um, you know as we say it's an art ecosystem and what kind of attention the medium gets on public forums and in academia mm-hmm. and that um, you know big institutions like Harvard I mean it directly affects how the art that you these people are making is accepted by the world so yeah um, yeah you know I've, on behalf of the print world everywhere thank you jennifer <laughs> i'm just gonna just step up and speak for everyone no um but no i think that it's it is something that uh i've i've heard the excitement in their voices that's that that it is getting attention and um and excitement and so yeah i i of course highly highly recommend anyone listening who hasn't watched the lecture series yet to treat themselves and do so and mm-hmm. I'll put a link in the show notes to it so it'll be easy access nice. and also um, what's the best place for people to find you uh, follow you find out about other publications you've made uh, anything like that
0: well uh, I'm on Instagram and that's that's my primary social media world mm-hmm. and um my Instagram name is just Jennifer Roberts, except there are six R's at the end of Jennifer, which is a long story. (laughs) But but I'm easily locatable on Instagram. And then um, I think that's probably the easiest way. Or you can get my email address via going through the Harvard Art History page. Um, It's kind of a complicated email address, so I won't read it over the air. But uh, I'm very happy to to answer questions or queries of any kind and um, yeah yeah wonderful well thank you very much
1: for joining me and having this chat I I feel like you know I, I just could talk to you about printmaking forever and you know so many more questions and so maybe Uh, we can do this again, maybe when the book comes out and uh, talk more because um, I so appreciate the the work that you're doing and thinking so thoughtfully and
0: um, affectionately about printmaking. Well, it's been such a delight to talk to you. And honestly, I thought I was tired of talking about print, but (laughs) now here we are. We've been talking for an hour and I also want to keep going. (laughs) Well, that's our show
1: for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be Bud Martin, head of research and development at Speedball Inks. We'll talk chemical engineering and ink, tinkering in the shop, color, and safety for art products. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.